Welcome to the Ark Church Podcast. On here, you'll find all of our Sunday and Wednesday messages, as well as classes and special services. If you would like more information about the Ark Church, visit us at thearkchurch.com or download our app available to all app stores. Our heart for you is that you would live for God, grow stronger, and make a difference. Enjoy. Last week, we started a series that we're continuing called In Times Like These, talking about the times that we're living in and the times, what can we be prepared for for the future? And we used a passage out of 2 Timothy, where Paul was writing to Timothy. It's the last letter he wrote, and he said, but know this, in the last days, perilous times will come. In that same chapter, he writes this, evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you've learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them. When Paul was writing to Timothy, he was telling him, hey, listen, evil men, imposters, deceivers, they're out there. They're not going to get better. It's actually going to get worse. He said, but you continue in what you've learned. So in other words, he said, it's, it's dark out there. But here's the beautiful news. We don't have to get focused on the darkness because we have the light. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me will not live in darkness, but will have the light of life. So we don't have to get upset with the darkness. We don't have to be afraid of the darkness. We can recognize the darkness, but we can recognize also that the life in us is stronger than the darkness that comes against us. And that gives us a hope and a strength in the middle of the times that we're living in. And they are dark. There's some darkness out there living in a dark world. It's going to be that way until Jesus comes back. But here's some of the things that we see that really kind of breed in the darkness. The first one is uncertainty. In the dark, you're just not certain about what's ahead. I think one of the, the biggest challenges is right now we've got so many problems that we just don't have answers for. Now, I know technology and medicine have made some huge gains, and I appreciate that. I mean, we can put a computer now in your hand that's stronger than the one that took the, the astronauts to the moon in 1969. So we can carry it around. But we haven't solved the problems of loneliness, heartbreak, addiction. And so we don't have answers for some of the human problems. And so there's a level of uncertainty. I just recently read right now the FDA has approved guidelines for psycho psychedelic drugs to be used to treat PTSD, depression, and anxiety. Psychedelic drugs are saying if they've seen some breakthroughs in those and they use something called hallucinogens. And these hallucinogens, which alter your sensory perception, they're saying that there can be breakthroughs there. Colorado last year just voted to approve that, um, what's in mushrooms? What kind of mushrooms? Silicon. I had more boomers in the first service. They immediately knew what I was talking about. They jumped right on it. They, uh, psilocybin. And so medicinal psilocybin. So you've got this going on. Listen, I'm for anything that helps people. But the challenge is once you start off dosing, where does it stop? And the psych there's some psychiatrists now who are coming out saying, hey, this is a fad and it's going to create problems for us. The challenge is there's so much uncertainty. Even the experts don't agree on everything. In the dark, you see a lot of fear. 
I remember as a kid growing up, you remember just sleeping in bed and you look up in your room and you know that there was a monster there. You knew it was a monster. You saw the monster. And then when the lights came on in the morning, you realized it was a coat hanger hanging on you know, the, the closet or something, whatever. You realized it, was, it, it wasn't that. But the fear and anxiety that we see, it's just, if you ever notice how much fear is in the world that we live in. And then there's a level of deception. In the dark, there's deception that takes place. Something is presented as something, but then it's not. There was a man who lost his job and looked for a long time to try to find a job. And uh, he was really becoming desperate, and he noticed noticed an online ad that his zoo and his community was hiring, and so he went down. And they explained to him that they did have a job for him. It was temporary, but it paid well. Because their old gorilla had died, and it was going to take a while to get a new gorilla in, so they said, here's what we need you to do. We need you to wear this gorilla suit. And... He said, all you got to do is just, like, in the corner, make some gorilla noises and eat and sleep, and uh, it'll pay well. This gorilla suit is really good. No one will know it's you. We'll keep it completely anonymous. The money was good. He took the job. So the first couple of days, he just kind of sat in the corner made a few gorilla noises. Went, then about the third day, he's getting bored. So he gets up and starts walking around like a gorilla, starts to draw a crowd. Well, the crowd is kind of clapping for him and looking, pointing at him. He likes that. So he climbs a tree on his cage, and they're all clapping about that. And he thought, man, I'm going to put on a show. So he reached out and grabbed a vine that they had in there and swung out on the vine and then swung up, and all the crowd, the crowd is ooing and aahing, and he's swinging higher and higher, and the vine snapped, and he landed in the lion's cage. <laughs> so he lands there in the lion's cage, and he forgets all about the job. He begins to scream, help! Help me, help me. And a large, hungry-looking lion comes over and pounces on him and puts his paw right on his chest and leans down and says, Dude, shut up or we're both going to lose our jobs. (laughs) There's a lot of deception out there, guys. I think one one of the biggest deceptions, though, that we're dealing with is we're hearing, oh, we're making such progress. Oh, we're making such progress. Oh, our progressive ways and our woke ways are working. They're not working. They're not working. Recently read an article in Time Magazine about camps they had for children who are survivors of suicide, family or sibling. And they've said that suicide has increased in our country since 2000. It's increased 37%. 42% of high schoolers polled saying that they were sad and hopeless. 22% have considered suicide. 10% have tried. And so the, the idea that we're doing so great and everything's so wonderful, that's a deception. And I just, if I could just give you a warning, whenever the world really starts beating the drum about something, it's when I take two steps back and wait and see. Because I'm not skeptical when it comes to God's word. I am skeptical to things that come my way. Fear, uncertainty, deception. They all grow in the dark. But thank God we're not called to live in the dark. If you're a believer, we have a different environment that we live in. Spiritual environment. Oh no, we're here. But we live differently. Let's look here. And Peter was writing. 
He said, he's writing to believers. He said, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. If you've made Jesus Christ your Lord, you've been called out of darkness. Spiritual darkness is not a common denominator for us. We've been called out of darkness. We live in the light. We're enabled to live differently. And that means the fear and the uncertainty and the deception will not dominate us. And the idea behind that is we live differently so we can show other people how good God is. I grew up in a home where depression was very prevalent. My mother, father, both of them are in heaven now, but my mother uh, in, her, in her 20s had to be hospitalized uh, for anxiety and depression. My dad dealt with it. I grew up with it. In college, I began to have some anxiety attacks. Then they stopped for a while. And actually, it's after I came back to the Lord and got filled with the Spirit, they stopped. But when I came back to Texas in 1990, I didn't have much money. I'm working at a job, a sales job, that was straight commission. We had a mortgage. I had two little ones. And, man, I felt the pressure. And the anxiety attacks came back. I'm sitting, I'm in, and they, and, but they were very targeted. They wouldn't hit me normally, but when I would go in to make a sales presentation, all of a sudden, and I could feel it coming on, almost like someone would throw a coat over you. And I would break out in a sweat. I'm not talking about a little glistening. I'm talking about just sweat pouring off my face, soaking through my shirt. If you're in sales and your salesman is sweating profusely, there's a thought that maybe he's not telling the truth. It, it wasn't helping me, but it, 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 I promise you it wasn't humorous. And for those of you who deal with that, who have dealt with that, I'm telling you, it was not good. And I remember what it was causing in my thoughts, and I drove past a government housing project. It's like I could hear the enemy whisper in my heart, that's where you're going to live because you can't take care of your family. The anxiety was bad, but I knew one thing. I knew this was not the plan of God for me. I knew that God, this was not from him. And if you know it's not from him, that means I have the ability to resist whatever is not from him. And so I, I remember, I certainly was praying about it. And I was sitting in a lobby getting ready to go in and make a sales presentation. And the Holy Spirit whispered to my heart, he whom the son makes free is free indeed. And, I, and it just, a revelation hit me. And I realized, that's exactly right. I am free from this, and I don't have to have this. And you know what? I haven't had another one in 33 years and don't plan on having any more. And so it's a freedom. And, those of, and so those of you who are dealing with depression and dealing with anxiety, I can tell you right now, this is not because I'm so mentally strong or I just had willpower. It's because we've got a strong Savior who sets us free and you don't have to live with anxiety and you don't have to live with depression. It, it may have been, it may be part of your present. It does not have to dictate your future. And what happens is that then when people go, well, how did you get free from that? You don't go, I'm just a tough guy. You tell them, I got a good God and he's done a good work in me. Called out of darkness into his marvelous light that we might show how good he is. We've been doing a story about Daniel and his three friends living in Babylon 600 years before Jesus was born. Babylon was a world power. 
cultural power, intellectual power at that time. And Daniel and his friends are living there under a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, a very famous king. And he had a dream one night, the king did. And in the dream, he, he woke up, he was disturbed, so he calls in all of his intellectual elite, magicians, soothsayers, astrologers, calls all these guys in and said, man, I had a bad dream. Need you guys to tell me the dream and the interpretation. They say, King, you tell us the dream, we'll give you the interpretation. He said, no, 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 that's not work that way. You tell me the dream, and then I know you're going to have the interpretation. They go, no, no, King, you tell us the dream, and we'll tell you the interpretation. He goes, hey, I know, I, I know you guys, you're all about fake news. There's no way that I'm going to take this stuff. I paraphrased that. I didn't say that in the Bible. I just paraphrased it. But he said, I know you've conspired to lie because you're trying to buy more time. He said, if you can't tell me the dream and the interpretation, he said, then I will cut you into pieces and make your houses an ash heap. <laughs> you talk about canceling? That's canceling. And he said, you, you are all going to die. And they said, hey, King, nobody's ever asked anything like this before. No one knows that except the gods, and they don't live with men. So the king said, fine. And they started killing him. Here's what, and Daniel was one of the wise men. So the decree went out, and they began killing the wise men. They sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. And he answered and said, Arioch, why is the decree from the king so urgent? That word actually is the word harsh. Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning the secret so that Daniel and his companions might not perish, might not die with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision and Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. For wisdom and might are his, and he changes the times and the season. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what's in the darkness, and light dwells with him. When Daniel was facing the captain of the king's guard, he answered the king. His response, the scripture says, was with counsel and wisdom. He didn't look at the captain and go, you guys are crazy, you're idiots. I can't believe this stupid country that I'm living in, that you kill someone. It's not even my fault. He said, um, why is the king's matter so urgent? And he got an answer. And Daniel went in and told the king, give me some time. I'll get you. I'll get you the answer. Then Daniel goes back and he gets his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He said, we're going to pray. I want to tell you something. Guys, when the pressure's on, you need to have people who trust God in your life. This is one of the benefits of church is that you're able to come and see other people who believe like you do. They believe God's real. They believe God can do big things. So they got together and they began to pray. They began to seek God for his mercy. You don't seek for something if you don't think there's an answer there. So they, they began to lean on their relationship with God. They believed God was big. They believed God was real. They believed that God could help them. And as they prayed, God gave them an answer. And when they got the answer, that's why Daniel is praising God. He's like, God, thank you, Lord. You, you've been so good. Because he realized you can't hide anything from God. He sees what's in the darkness. 
Nothing's dark to him. He sees it all. So Daniel goes back in and he talks to the king. King answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream which I've seen in its interpretation? And Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, the secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. The dream and the visions of your head upon the bed were these. If you read the rest of that chapter, and I would encourage you to read it, it really begins to talk about the kingdoms of the world and it spoke of the future. But for Nebuchadnezzar, the fact Daniel would go in, and I love what Daniel said. He basically, he didn't trash those guys, but he basically said, they don't have the answer. You're experts, O king. They don't have the answer. God has the answer. Daniel didn't go, I'll tell you something. Back in Jerusalem, I was known as a pretty sharp guy. I got this thing figured out. He didn't have it figured out. He recognized that God had given him an answer. And when he told the king the, the dream and the interpretation, Nebuchadnezzar acknowledged, he said, your God is God. And Nebuchadnezzar took Daniel and made him head over all the wise men, of which there were not as many anymore, but he made him head <laughs> over the wise men. And Daniel promoted all his three friends. And you know that God promoted those four men in a heathen nation that did not acknowledge God. You know that God can still do the same thing today. He can promote us in a land where people don't acknowledge God, but they will appreciate the fact that you have God in your life. I've looked, I looked at a guy one time in the sales, he's hiring salespeople. He said, why should I hire you? I said, I'll tell you why you should hire me. I said, I'm a Christian and I'm a tither and everything I do is blessed. He wasn't a believer, but he liked that. He's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Because if you're a sales manager, you want all the blessed people you can around you. How do we live these days? How do we live as lights in the darkness? Paul wrote the church in the book of Ephesians, which was a dark culture. And he said to them, he's talking to believers. He said, for you once were darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light for the fruit of the spirit. The fruit of light is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. He said, you were darkness. He said, but when you made Jesus your Lord, you're not just have the light, you are the light. Walk as children of the light. How do we do that? Let me give you three things. We have to walk differently. We have to have a, a walk that's different. In other words, we cannot respond to this dark world in the same way they respond to us. In other words, harsh for harsh. I realize you can go and you say, well, is the world hard? Yeah, go on social media and say something they don't like and watch the harshness come out. And it's just, it's, it's harsh. And so your tendency, someone says something harsh to you, your tendency is to want to write back and go, you are a flaming idiot. <laughs> In love, of course. <laughs> but we don't need to be answering harsh for harsh. We need grace for harsh. Look at this, look at this verse. I didn't make this up. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up. One translation said, only what ministers grace to them according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Leave it up there just for a second. I'm going to give you a marriage tip right here. This will change your marriage. Don't let any unwholesome, toxic, hurtful words come out of your mouth. Gosh, y'all got quiet. Where'd you go? <laughs> but only what is helpful 
for building others up. What if all the unkind words went away and your words just built up the people in your lives? You will improve your relationships overnight. Grace for harsh. A lady named Heather Burke Cody in her blog wrote about being in a thrift store, buying some stuff for one of her children for their dorm room. She said she was about six people deep at the cashier line, and she said this cashier was the meanest, most irritated, had a harsh voice, and just was just ugly, unkind. And it seemed like every customer that, that reached her before Heather, just making her madder and madder. And then Heather got to her, and she's incensed because Heather has an item that needs a price check. And as she's standing there waiting for the price check, Heather said the Lord nudged her, because she called it a soul nudge, to give this woman some money that she kept in the back of her wallet. And Heather argued with the Lord. She, I, I've been there before. You're like, get thee behind me, Satan. That is, that is not. She argued with the Lord. She, she said, quietly, not out loud, obviously, but she said, Lord, I, I don't want to give her this money, I need to give it to someone who's loving and sweet and kind and deserving. She said, but the Lord wouldn't give up. Kept nudging her to give her the money. So when the lady handed her a receipt, Heather put some folded bills in her hand. And the lady, this was during the COVID, and she, and she, she looked. She dropped her mask. And she whispered, Why? And Heather said, soul nudge. In other words, I just got nudged in my heart. This time the lady held on to her hand. She looked at her. She said, today's my birthday. I'm 75 years old today. And nobody's called me. My sister hadn't called me. She said, none of my kids called me. She said, ain't nobody called me. She said, these people here ain't said nothing. She said, I'm 75 years old. She said, I don't know when I have been so sad. We forget sometimes that people are harsh because life has been harsh to them. And we're the ones with the answer. We're the ones who can show grace. Live differently. If we're going to be a light in a dark world, live and walk confidently. But our confidence is in we believe in God. We believe he's real. We believe he'll help us. We believe he's bigger than the problems that we face. We believe that we have a connection with him. Those magicians told the King Nebuchadnezzar, the gods don't live with men. Hey, let me tell you something. Our God does. Our God doesn't just live with us. He lives in us by his Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 1.7 said, For God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And he has, we got a connection with him. You're not, you're not this, there's not just God so far out there and you're a little bit of you down here. No, he lives in you by his Holy Spirit. And he can empower you by his Spirit. But he has answers, God has answers, even when the experts have nothing. We can live confidently knowing we're not alone in this. My youngest son, Michael, I've got three children. You saw Matt, the lion chaser. <laughs> oh. 
little side note on that. That's a theory. Matt has never chased a lion in, in his life. And then I've got Christina, my stealth child that no one doesn't know. She's in Tulsa. Our youngest child is Michael. He and his wife, Nadia, are our youth pastors doing a good job working with working our young people. And uh, Michael was like nine years behind Matt, six years behind. Definitely the baby of the family. But we noticed that he kept falling a lot and when he was little. And he busted out his two front teeth. And we, and they, we finally took him in. We actually had CISD took him in and evaluate him. And they said his muscle, muscle tone was, was so weak he couldn't hold a pencil in his hands. And they told us then, said, he's three. We don't think he's going to be ready to even go to kindergarten. He'll never pass kindergarten. And, and so we also noticed that he kept walking into things. And so we realized that's not muscle tone. We, we had him check, and his eyes weren't focusing. They were dancing. And... Joyce said she remembers standing in the kitchen. She was already dealing with sickness. She's standing in the kitchen and she cried out to God. She said, God, I need your help. I need your help for my son. Well, we had just started the church at that time. And one night, Joy was teaching in, she was teaching in children's church. None of the other volunteers have showed up. By the way, for all of you volunteers in our church, we love you. We appreciate what you do. And I think, I think a special... And extra gold stars for our parking lot and cart team during this, during this time. Whoa. But anyway, Joy had all the kids in there, and she didn't know what to do, so she had show-and-tell night, and the kid brought his violin. The little guy, he played the violin. Michael was three. Michael said, I want to play the violin. We're like, right, sure, you're three. And so we ignored, he kept it up for about a year. And so finally, he's, he's about to turn four, Joy gets him a violin, and we scrounged up the money. We rented it, and he starts taking violin lessons. Violin is a beautiful, beautiful instrument when it's played correctly. <laughs> when a four-year-old plays the violin, our little, we had a poodle named Inez, and Inez would sit right in front of him, and he'd start playing, and she'd just go, ooh, we got so used to it, it became the background noise for our family. Michael screeching the violin and Inez howling all the time. It's like, yes, how we live as a family. And the dove is going off. It's a... But what we didn't realize was that when Michael was playing the violin, holding the bow and working his fingers and working his eyes, strengthened his eyes and strengthened his hands to the point where the experts were asking us, what did you do with him? Because he was able to go to kindergarten and pass kindergarten and wind up graduating from college. And if you've seen him, he doesn't have a muscle tone problem. And he doesn't, and he doesn't have to wear uh, glasses for his, his eyes and dancing. We didn't realize that healing was there. But we didn't realize something else. When, when he was six, sixth grade, getting ready to go in seventh grade, the, the sixth grade teacher told us, he's really got something with his violin. And we're like, what, Michael? We're such a loving family. I mean, we're just, <laughs> not like, what? No, it's the violin. But then his junior high teacher told his, his orchestra in high school, 
And as a ninth grader, he's playing in the varsity and he wound up being their first chair before he graduated and he would go to state things and they were amazed at how he could play. I want to tell you something. When God gets behind something and God anoints something, not only was there healing, but we found a gift that a young man had in him to be able to do that. And God has answers, even when the experts don't know what to do. The last thing is this, is that we walk with humility. Humility simply saying is we're not, we're not looking at ourselves going, we're so awesome, we're amazing. I like Psalms 34 that says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord and the humble will hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. So we're giving God the credit for what he does in our life. We're giving God the credit. Many of you know that my, my, I lost my voice at the beginning of the year and they sent me to a specialist and I went down to see a, a specialist in Baylor and he, looks at, he sticks this long thing camera down my throat and pulls it out and goes, okay, he said, I got something we can do. We can inject you with this in a couple of weeks and it, it, it may help your voice. It won't be normal, but it'll help it. Between that time I went and saw him to the time I came back, the Lord healed my voice. And I walked in there and the doctor looked at me and, and he said, Mr. Clayton, how you doing? And I said, I'm actually doing real good. And he stepped back. He said, he said, what happened to your voice? I said, did you forget who I work for? Yeah. I'm not so amazing. He's the one that's amazing. He's the healer. He's the one. And we give him the credit. So we walk with the humility. We're not looking at everyone going, look at me because I'm amazing. You look at me because I represent the one who is amazing. Because I'm, I, man, he's, he's the one that said I'm a light in the dark world. And that's what we're called to be. So we walk, we walk confidently. We walk with humility. We walk differently. Jim, a, a, a man was a pilot, 1954, flew off a carrier in the Sea of Japan. Navy jet pilot. Launched him off the carrier into a stormy night maneuver. And as he took off, the instruments in his, in his plane went out, the directional finder. He took off in the wrong direction. Then to make matters worse, he's flying at night and there was a short circuit in his cockpit and every light and instrument went out. He couldn't see anything. He was about to, despair was about to set in. But when he looked down into the ocean, he saw a blue-green glow that just trailed along. He knew what he was looking at. He'd been trained for this. You see, when the ship had passed by, the rudders and the, and the, the engines had stirred up this phosphorescent algae, and it glowed in the night. And he could see that blue-green glow. And even though it was the least reliable instrument, he followed it all the way back and landed on the ship. His name is Jim Lovell. He's one of the uh, astronauts in Apollo 13. In a sense, the light saved Jim Lovell. But that's us. We, as we're looking around at the darkness that we see, guys, we're not dominated by the darkness. We have light. We see the light of God's Word. We see the light of His Spirit. We're not in the dark. We're children of light. And not only do we have light, we are light. Yes. To a dark, hurting, confused, fearful, deceived world. And we're showing them, hey, 
It's not that we're wonderful, but we know the one who is. Let me introduce you. Would you bow your head for a moment? We'll be out of here in just a, a, a couple of minutes. But if you came this morning or you're watching online and you say, you know what, Alan, I don't even know if I have a relationship with the Lord. I'm not sure about that. Or maybe you made that decision at one time in your life and you've gotten away from God. You're honest. You go, you know, I, I just know I'm not where I should be with him. and I need to get back. We're going to say a prayer. I'm not going to have you stand up. I'm not going to have you come to the front. But this prayer is for you. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I'm going to ask you one thing. If you're here in the auditorium and that's you and you would like our prayers, would you shoot your hand up real quickly across this auditorium and say, that's me. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Appreciate your courage. You can put your hands down. We're going to pray. If you're watching online, obviously I can't see your hand, but if you want prayers, you can join us in this. I'm going to encourage you, if you're by yourself, pray it out loud. If you're with others, pray it quietly. We're going to pray it together as a church family. Maybe you didn't raise your hand, but you want in. This is your time. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Have you still bowed, eyes are closed. Father, thank you for those who prayed that prayer today, both online, both in here. Thank you, Father, for those who've stepped out of spiritual darkness into the light and for those who've come back. Father, we rejoice with them. And for the rest of us, thank you that we can be lights in the darkness. We don't have to curse the darkness. We're lights in the darkness. Make us a light to people around us this week. We give you all the praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message has blessed you. Don't forget to check us out on all the social platforms. We're uploading encouraging content on a regular basis. For more information, go to thearcchurch.com. Have a great week.